Yes. Oh. We love, my wife and I love that song. It's Blue October Home. It's such a great song. We only discovered it a year ago, but it's been out since like 2015 or something. I don't know. It's been out for a while. But hey, good morning. Welcome, welcome. Uh, my name's Steve Case. Uh, I'm one of the board members here at the Point Church. And, and just want to welcome you here today. Uh, we have a, a really great series that we've been doing, Beautiful Mess, and uh, it's about the family. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. But, but before we get into that, I wanted to share a little bit about my family. But uh, <laughs> uh, so about four weeks ago, about four weeks ago, I was sitting in a meeting of about 10 to 12 of us at work, and we were, we were having kind of like a strategy session. And so we brought a consultant in uh, to help kind of guide the conversation, lead us in direction or whatever. And and as consultants do, he wanted to start with an icebreaker. Huh? Who here loves icebreakers? Yeah, not a single hand, right? <laughs> not at all. I, I think it's supposed to be, you know, let's people open up and unite. I think everyone unites in equally hating icebreakers. No one likes icebreakers, but still, uh, we had to do this icebreaker. And he, was, he tried to come up with like this innocent, innocuous question. And, and, and so he said, okay, you know, we'll go around the room and just say, how many siblings do you have and where do you fall in the pecking order? Seems like pretty innocent enough, but I can tell you that in that moment, my heart sank because I genuinely had never thought how I would answer that question. It, it, for me, it's, it's a hard question to answer. So fortunately, uh, the group started like on the other side and I knew I was going to be one of the last. So I'm trying to listen to folks, but I'm also like counting under the table, right? Uh, like how many do I have? And, and so when it finally got around to me, I, I told them kind of the only way that I could. So this is what I said. I said, you know, I was raised the youngest of four children. I had three sisters who were nine, seven, and five years older than me. Um, but I'll tell you, I was a big oops because my parents were divorced before I was conceived, right? Uh, and so then what happened was they got back together and they stayed together until I was about two and permanently separated. But that's not the end of the story. When I was five, all of us, our, my, my sisters and I, we found out that we had an older brother. Pretty cool. And, and so we met him and everything else and it turned out my older brother was nine years older than me. And if you were listening, that meant I had a brother who was nine years older than me and a sister who was nine years older than me who were just a couple months apart. So that might tell you a little bit about my father, <laughs> uh, right? Not my mother, that's not possible, about my mother. Um, and that's not the end of the story either, okay? Because when I was 14, when I was 14, so my three sisters that I was raised with, they were all adults by this point. And when I was 14, my mother suddenly passed away. And so I was adopted by my aunt and uncle on my father's side. I barely knew my father and I knew my aunt and uncle even less, but they took me into their home and they had three children who were seven, six, and three years older than me. And they immediately became my brothers and sister. Uh, and so I, I added them to the fold, right? And that's not the end of the story, though, <laughs> uh, because when I was 18, my biological father passed away, and uh, my grandmother was kind of going through, like, letters she had and things of his, and she pulled out these letters from his time in Vietnam, and she knew this, but none of us did, but his letters revealed that when he was serving in Vietnam, he was married before my mother. And he had a son. 
Now, the letters didn't name the child or anything like that, so I have no idea who this is, but I have another brother in Vietnam somewhere that there's probably no way I'd ever meet unless we do like a 23andMe or something. I don't know. But so what I told the group is, so if you do the math, that means I have three biological sisters, two half-brothers, two cousin brothers, and a cousin sister, and a partridge in a pear tree, right? (laughs) I mean, what, what a weird, messy family. And, and maybe some of you can relate, right? We all like to think, and, and some of you do, but come from that solid nuclear family. But so many of us come from families that are blended, that are uh, separated, that there's adoption stories and, and things like that. And it's messy. But sometimes it can be this beautiful mess, right? Because I tell you that, that my experiences, and, and my wife and I enjoy this, and our kids enjoy this, that we have so many siblings, that means they're aunts and uncles, right? And aunts and uncles mean gifts for our kids, time with our kids, and they have so many more cousins that they can play with as well. So it has been a tremendous blessing. And I did end up having that mother and father figure um, through my formative years as well. So it's, it's been a tremendous blessing. But that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the family, of building a home, right? Uh, Just like the song said, making a house a home, making a family. And, you know, that family is the first institution that God created on earth, family. And, And when it works according to God's plan... Family is to be when, when man and woman join as husband and wife in covenant relationship with each other and with God. And then Genesis 1.18 tells us that we are then to be fruitful and multiply, to, to have children, right? And, and then from there, we're to, to raise those children, protect those children, educate those children, and, and teach them who God is. And, and when it's functioning great, The home is where you can go to receive unconditional love, where you can go to receive support and care and well-being. But many of us know that we also come from a fallen and broken world. And so even though that's God's design for the family, so often the family is where we carry the most hurts, the most wounds, the most scars, the most trauma. And what I want to unpack today is I want to take us all back to, the, to one of the things that we all have in common. We were all children. And I want to take us back there and I want to talk through, you know, God's plan for the family but also God's solutions to these past hurts that we carry with us. And so this message At first, it might feel like it doesn't talk to all of you, but we all have a role in this, okay? And we're going to unpack that. Now, to do that, though, we really have to go back to the first family, the very first family, which was a dysfunctional family, okay? From the start, Adam and Eve, original sin, right? And then they had two sons, Cain and Abel, right? And... When they had Cain and Abel, Cain was so jealous and angry towards Abel that he murdered him. The first murderer was his own sibling, right? And Cain's punishment was to be banished, exiled from Eden, 
and then also to be separated from God. There, there's a part in, in Genesis that, that uh, Cain says, God, don't do this to me. I'll be hidden from your presence. Because at that time, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, they walked with God. God was present. And Cain would no longer have that as part of his punishment. But it also affected the whole family because Adam and Eve, who had two sons, now were childless. They were, they were the first who were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply, and they found themselves with no children. And what it says in Genesis chapter 4.25 is that Adam says, God has granted me another child in place of Abel because Cain killed him. And so that brings in their third son, Seth. Okay? And that's where we're going to land for a little bit in talking about this. Because where we're going is we're going to this core foundational principle that we all have to understand and we all have to accept in order to understand how we can move past past hurts, right? And we can start to heal. And so we're going to get to that core foundational principle. But where we find it is actually in the genealogy of Adam and Eve's family. And that's crazy. But that's also one of the things that I love about the Bible, okay? Every word, every phrase, every verse has meaning and purpose. Nothing is wasted. But yet, we can read through it, we can skim it, and it might not talk to us, right? We can go, who here loves to read the genealogy in the, in the Bible? There's always a few. There's always a few, yeah. But for a lot of folks, a lot of people, we read the genealogy and we just skim over it, right? So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so on but there's meat there. There's meaning there. And I want to unpack that because that's going to get us to this core foundational principle. I also have just a ton of props today. So it's going to kind of be like Gallagher, but I'm not going to splash anybody. <laughs> no one under 30 got that reference. I'm, I'm sure of it. All right. But here we go. Okay. We want to look at Seth's genealogy. This is in Genesis chapter five. It's not in the message notes. It's not up there because it's, it's really like, it literally is Adam lived for so many years, and then he had a son at the age of this, and his name was Seth, and then he lived for so many years after that, and he died at the age of so-and-so. I mean, that's literally what it keeps doing. But there's some pieces in there that we need to understand. So, Adam and Eve's third son is Seth. Seth had Enosh. Some translations say Enos, but, it's, but Enosh. And the, the Bible pauses there for a second, because it says something in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says... Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So think about that. Adam and Eve, they walked with God. In Enosh's generation, we have the establishment of prayer, of calling on the name of the Lord, the establishment of prayer. And then from Enosh, we know nothing else about Enosh. It moves on to Kenan. And then from Kenan, we get to Mahalalel. Say that with me, Mahalalel. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. I, I, I have no idea how to pronounce that, but, but I love saying that, Mahalalel. Say it again, Mahalalel. Yes. There's too many lalels in there, I think. Mahalalel, I don't know. But then look at this. I mean, Mahalalel, he went to Jared. Like, that's the most American name out there right now, Jared. Mahalalel to Jared. And then Jared went to Enoch. And that's where I want to pause because the Bible, again, lands on Enoch and has some things to say about him. Okay? 
Enoch. Hey, something else to know. Adam was even alive when Enoch was born. Things were different back then. But these generations, they were all multi-generational and alive. And that's important too. But Enoch, what does the Bible tell us about Enoch? Well, in, in, in Genesis 5 verses 21 through 24, or just 24, it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. God took him away. That literally means God took him away, that, that Enoch never died. Like Elijah, he was taken away. It's a pretty big deal, pretty devoted follower of God. And that's why Enoch is one of the few that has this next to his name. What does that stand for? Hall of Fame, that's right. Except in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the Hall of Faith. It's the Hall of Faith. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, the author goes through all of these heroes of the Old Testament who were necessary to bring forth Jesus, right? And one of the first people talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 is Enoch. And what it says about him is it says, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch, one who pleased God. So that's why he's a hall of faither, right? He's a hall of faither. Now, there's a lot to talk about with Enoch. But I actually want to go a different direction because Enoch is the very first person in recorded history named after someone else. The very first person in recorded history who bears the namesake of another. Interesting, right? And so when I read something like that, I go, why? Why? And we're getting to this core principle now because to do that, we have to look at a different lineage, a different family tree. And we have to start with Cain. Cain, the murderer, the outcast, the pariah, right? And what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, is Cain had a son and his name was Enoch. So there's a connection there. So what do we know about Cain's son Enoch? Everything we know is just listed in the genealogy. That's it. But there's so much there. And again, we're getting to this core principle because here it is. What we know about Cain's son Enoch is that he was born in the generation of prayer. Right? We also know that Enoch had a city named after him. City of Enoch. We also know that Enoch had a son named Irad. And Irad translates to city of witness. He then had a grandson named Mehujael, Mehujael, which translates to he who proclaims God. Then he has a great-grandson, Methushael, Methushael, not to be confused with Methuselah, Methushael. His name means man of God. Man of 
God. The other thing that I think we can surmise is why? Why does someone carry another's namesake? To honor someone who was important to you. To identify someone who was influential in your life. And if that person's still living, to hope that that person would be an influence on your child as well. And so we can surmise from just this genealogy that Enoch, Cain's son, was a follower of God and he had a generational impact on his children and his children's children and maybe even some nephews, right? Amen? But here's the point. Enoch knew it, and we all have to understand it, and we all have to accept it, that you are not defined by your parent. You are not destined to follow in your parents' footsteps, right? Right? Or put it like this, your past hurts are your past, not your future. And if you can accept that, if you can accept that, you can have a generational impact on your children, your children's children, and maybe a few others as well. That's the first point. That's the key point. Because what often happens to us is if you have wounds and you have scars from your childhood, you carry that with you. Right? It, it, you, you carry that with you and it, and it festers. The Bible actually says uh, in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Because what happens is if you carry that past hurt with you, those wounds, those scars, that trauma, you carry it with you, it festers and it ter- turns into bitterness. That you were wronged, that, that, that you, know, you got a raw deal out of life. And you carry that with you. So you have to understand your past is your past, not your future. But it goes further than that because all too often if we have these past hurts and these scars, we do carry them with us and they affect us well into our adulthood. You know, there was a, there was a groundbreaking study in, uh, in um, 1995. It was called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And from it they created a, a survey uh, that you can do. I, I see some nods. And, and in this survey, this is, this is stunning and incredibly sad. By asking you 10 questions about your childhood, they can predict the likelihood of negative behaviors and negative health consequences into your adult years. So if you look at this chart from the CDC, it walks through these survey questions. And the survey questions, they start with abuse. Were you the victim of physical abuse as a child? Were you the victim of emotional abuse? Did did a parent or family member swear at you, insult you? Those type of things. Were you the victim of sexual abuse as a child? Under the neglect, did you suffer physical neglect? And that means food insecurity. That means clothing insecurity. Clothing insecurity, if, if you didn't have clean clothes, if you didn't have shoes that fit, those type of things. Or were you just left unsupervised as a child? Left to your own devices. Emotional neglect is that... You, you were left unloved or feeling abandoned. Under the household dysfunction, mental illness. Did you have mental illness in your household? And that includes 
an attempt of suicide in your household? Was a relative in your household incarcerated at any period of time or for any period of time? Was your mother the victim of domestic violence? Was there substance abuse in your household? And that includes prescription. And then here on the CDC, it says, were you, know, were you a child of divorce? But it is broader than that in that it's saying, were you abandoned by a parent if, if they were never married? Or did you lose a parent to death as well? And, and what they found is if you answer yes to four or more of those questions, it drastically increases your likelihood to certain behaviors on the next slide and other health consequences. So much so that you, you have a 390% greater risk of lung cancer if you answer yes to four or more questions. You have a 460% greater risk of, of suffering from depression. Okay? And this is the saddest one of all to me. You have a 1,220% greater risk of attempting suicide yourself. So how is it, why is it that these things that, that happened as children have such a, a profound negative impact on us well into our adult years? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? And I, I got to tell you, I got to preface this with, I am by no means an expert on this, okay? I am not a trained counselor. I would not have the first clue on how to talk th someone through healing from trauma or abuse or anything else. Um, we have uh, folks on staff here who are trained counselors. We have Celebrate Recovery. We also have you know, a great network within the city uh, of folks to talk to, which is really important. But I'm coming to you today you know, as, as, as a work in progress myself, right? Someone with some past hurts, someone with some, with some past experiences that I've worked through and some that I haven't. So I, I just want to preface that because, because here's the deal. I mean, the Bible tells us that in Ephesians, you need to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, because that's what it turns into. That's what it turns into. If, it's, it's like having this rock, okay? This is, this is a, it's a heavy, jagged, pitted, dirty, just ugly rock. And, and when you're carrying around these past hurts, these scars, these wounds, it is, it is like you're literally carrying this weight, this rock with you. And it's everywhere you go. It's a constant reminder of the pain you suffered and the person who did it to you, right? And then eventually it becomes a part of you. Not just a part of you, but it becomes who you are. And, you, and you, you confuse it with your identity. God tells us our first step. Our first step is to give it to God. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And this is the hardest step of, of all. That when you give it to God... You have to forgive. This is, this is not about going and telling that person or whatever. It's not about that. This is a unilateral act of forgiveness between you and God so that you know you're not carrying it anymore. Because what will happen is God will take this and he will he'll wash it over and over and over again. 
He'll smooth it out. He'll get rid of the pits just like a river rock. And it will continue to wear away, to wear away, to where then it becomes this, this small, round, smooth, beautiful stone that, that you can then just take in your hand and put it in your... We'll do that. I knew that was going to happen. But you can take that stone and you can put it in your pocket. Because at this point, you get to decide. You get to decide when you pull it out. Because what God will do is he'll transform you to say, this is now, this past hurt is part of your testimony, not part of your identity. And so because it's so beautiful and because you, you, you know it helps shape you and it helps turn you to God and everything else, that it's part of your story that you want to share to help others who are back there, to help others who are down there in that pit of despair, that you can jump in and you can help lift them out of it. That's what God can do. It's transformational. I can tell you that, that you know, just uh, be vulnerable for a minute. I'm kind of the crying guy. I don't know if you know that yet, but um, my score is a seven. My score is a seven. It's high. It's high. And I can attribute five of those to one person, to one person who's only part of my life from the ages of four to nine. That's it. That's it. But I carried that person with me for decades, decades, until one day I was sitting right there where you are, Sam. My wife was right next to me, and I was holding a rock in my hand. And I put the name of William on that rock, and I gave it to God. Gave it to God. And I forgave him because you know what? That guy hasn't thought about me. He hasn't thought about me one second. Why am I taking up my brain space? Gave it to God. And, and in that moment, I was transformed. I was transformed. You know, uh, in, our, in our household, we have a four-year-old. And she came into the earth. She was like, rah! Really, I have a picture of her coming into the earth, arm up. And so she's always been my super Ella, super Ella. And she runs through the house, super Ella. And she's, she's taken to, she asks, when am I going to get my superpower? When am I going to get my superpower? And I'm telling you, that day, I got my superpower. I did. Because here's the deal. I am just filled with so much empathy for little people, for young ones who suffer. And one of the things God did with my life is he shifted my career. Unbeknownst to me, in defying understanding, I got the opportunity to travel this country, to speak at conferences, speak with ministries and leaders and individuals, and talk with them about how to prevent abuse, how to prevent acts of abuse and neglect all over. It's, it's been so rewarding, it's been such a blessing, but it was a total shift because as you can tell, like, I don't talk about these things very well, <laughs> you know? It's still tough because it's part of that story that you share. And so it does, it goes back to, this is part of your testimony, not your identity, right? And, and so that's what you have to ask yourself is, is, you know, if you're carrying that around, the first step is, is give it to God. 
forgive and, and seek help from others. Seek help from others. Maybe you're in a different stage of life and you've navigated this, but maybe you haven't taken it out and shared because maybe there still is some shame. Maybe there still is some sadness to navigate. But if you have it and you think you're there, to, to join someone where they are to help lift them out is so important. But there's another stage to all of this, and, and, it, and I'll, I'll go to, to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Something that Jesus hates. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus despises when a child is harmed. And yet, one in three girls and one in five boys will be abused before the age of 18. Those are the facts. That's sad. You know, we think about um, the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of lost sheep. This is when Jesus talks about the shepherd who will leave the 99 and chase after the one, right? And in that verse... He says, if he finds it, the one, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. But here's the thing we miss. Jesus follows that with, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He's talking about children. He's talking about that we all Regardless of your stage of life, we all need to share the same concern he has for children. We all have a role in speaking into their lives and into helping them and prevent this. So, so really, I'm going I'm to challenge you here in a second to think about where you are. What stage are you in? Do you need some healing? Is it time to, to go and talk to someone to raise your hand and to walk through that? Do you need to start helping? Help some folks who have some of the same story, some of the same hurts. Or, or are you at a stage where it's, it's time to step up and start protecting? And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's volunteering over at the children's ministry. Maybe it's stepping up in a small way for the El Salvador trip that leaves in a few weeks. Todd and Deanna are taking. They're, you know, we're doing this, this uh, we're asking for $1,500 to put food bags together. Talk about food insecurity in El Salvador. They're going to put bags together for 100 families that will feed a family of five for seven days. For seven days. And all it's going to take is $1,500. So maybe it's just given a little above your offering, your giving. Something like that. Maybe it's speaking into the lives of your kids and your children's children or nieces, nephews, extended family. But see what God wants you to do. Because, you know, God tells us in Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And he wants to do a new thing in your life. You just have to take that step and figure out where you are and go to the next stage. Now, some of us, you know, we're in a season of life that we have little ones and we have young children. And I really want to challenge you, if you're, if you're a parent with children in the household, if you're a grandparent that just loves on those kids, you know, it goes back to the song we listen to today, Home, right? 
there's, there's a verse in there, a lyric in there that says, we all get to see who we grow up to be. We all get to see who we grow up to be. Are you happy with who you are? Are you happy with your response to your children? Because that can change because that's your past. Give it to God. But can you be an anchor when in doubt, an ocean when in drought? He says, we aim for it all. We lift up the walls to make this house our home, to make this house our home. And are you building a home to have a generational impact on your children and your children's children? That's the question. That's what we're talking about. So we're going to go to prayer here. And the prayer is going to have a challenge for you to, to really identify where you are and where you're going. Because that's what God wants for you. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. God, some of us sitting here today, you know, we reflect and, and we know that we have, we have an A score of zero. And, and God, we just feel blessed. Blessed. God, we thank you for the reminder of who you are and the work you've done in our lives, but the work that generations before us have done as well. And God, we know that we have a role to play as well. And just pray that you give us wisdom and guidance and direction to where we can help. Father, some of us, some of us, we have a lot of hurt, a lot of wounds, a lot of trauma. And God, for some of us, we've, we've tried to bury it, but it's always there. It's always there, God. And today, today, God, we give it to you. We give it to you and you, we ask that you transform it and you transform us so that we can help others and we can fulfill the plans you have for our lives, God. God, present us with opportunities to serve you more. God, help us to feel your presence, to know your love, and to live our lives according to your will. Father, we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you all for that. And thank you for just letting me be a little vulnerable today. But I, I hope it's spoken to some of you and that you do have a next step. Um, I just wanted to give a few announcements as well because in talking about family, I already mentioned El Salvador. And I really do want to challenge you, you know, to, to help in this regard because you talk about food insecurity. That can go such a long way to, to not just have a huge impact on the families that they're going to meet with and serve, but a huge impact on the folks who are going as well and the reproducing nature of them coming back and the effect that they can have on the city and everything else. And so I really, really, really want to challenge you with that. The other thing I want to say is that, you know, in this conversation, fathers play an outsized role with respect to abuse, trauma, and the ability to help protect. And, uh, and with that, uh, we are going to actually have an event on July 31st um, for, for men, just to gather together, July 31st at 6.30 up at the lodge, just to gather together, have good male fellowship and just have fun and food and just get together. And we'll probably try to have these events on a more regular basis. Uh, ladies, you know, I said men have an outsized, ladies, unfortunately, you tend to bear the brunt of the responsibility when it comes to family. I remember we watched a, a message, uh, my wife and I, and it says, if, if your wife works outside of the home, she has two full-time jobs. 
because of us men. And, uh, and it's true. And also, you know, you have to do with man flu as well, which I, I have that. So uh, ladies, um, you have a big role, obviously, in family. But also Deanna is going to look at doing some women's events as well. And so keep an eye out for that. She said she's going to aim or target for September to look at some women's events. And we all just gather together and get to know each other, right? Right? We all come and we sit here and we look at the back of people's heads and the person on the stage. Let's get to know each other. Amen? All right, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dylan. Thanks.